Tech Trends is an original podcast series that dives into topics like quantum computing, 5G, and design thinking. Our conversations touch on how tech can transform the way businesses deliver for their customers, clients, and communities. For more information, visit jpmorgan.com technology. This is MIT Technology Review. During my time at Facebook, I came to realize a devastating truth. Almost no one outside of Facebook knows what happens inside of Facebook. Frances Haugen is a former product manager at Facebook. She's filed complaints with federal law enforcement, claiming the social media giant's leadership repeatedly put profit over safety. The company intentionally hides vital information from the public, from the U.S. government, and from governments around the world. Her complaints came with a trove of documents that Haugen gathered before quitting in an attempt to demonstrate the company had willfully chosen not to fix the problems on its platform. Among them, that algorithms like the one behind your Facebook newsfeed amplify hate, misinformation, and political unrest. And she's not the only whistleblower accusing the company of turning a blind eye to disinformation campaigns on the platform. Sophie Zhang worked as a Facebook data scientist And up until she was fired, she consumed herself with finding and taking down fake accounts, comments, and likes that were being used to sway elections globally. Her blockbuster exit memo was 8,000 words, and it revealed just how little Facebook had done to mitigate the problem. I'm Jennifer Strong, and this is I Was There When, an oral history project featuring the stories of how watershed moments in artificial intelligence and computing happened, as told by people who witnessed them. Let's go. In Machines We Trust. I'm listening. A podcast about the automation of everything. You have reached your destination. I'm Sophie Zhang, or Zhang Xuefei. At Facebook, I was a data scientist, and I worked on the fake engagement team. By fake, I mean, for instance, fake accounts, but also hacked accounts. And by engagement, I mean likes, comments, shares, etc. But in my spare time, I, I also began moonlighting in the area of finding inauthentic political activity, often very sophisticated inauthentic political activity. I could argue that this was also fake engagement, but, but it was not what I was expected to work on. When I began looking into the intersections between fake engagement and civic activity, very quickly I found results worldwide. I found results in in Brazil, in India, in Indonesia, in, in, in many nations, but also in Honduras, quite a bit in Honduras actually relative to its size. And I was putting together a report for leadership on the problem, I meant to take a, sc- a screenshot of the page of the major recipient in Honduras, Juan Orlando Hernandez, who, after I looked him up, turned out to be the president of Honduras. I was, I was going to his page to take a screenshot when I suddenly stopped because I noticed something very unusual because the people who were, who were liking his page and commenting, many of them were not people at all. They were, they were pages pretending to be users. And so just a step back here, what are pages, what are users? Pages are a Facebook feature meant for public figures, public organizations, etc. So for instance, MIT Tech Review has a Facebook page. MIT Tech Review is not a person. The page is run by someone else on Facebook. 
And so the intent of how Facebook pages operate is that they're supposed to reflect public entities and a single user can control many pages. So for instance, the same administrator can control the CNN page as well as CNN Philippines, CNN Europe, etc. But there was nothing preventing a user from setting up hundreds of pages, giving them names and profile pictures like real people, and having them act as real people. In fact, it was easier on their end because they could quite easily switch between these pages without needing to log in and log out every time. Quite quickly realized that these fake pages pretending to be users, there were thousands of them in Honduras, and a few hundred of them were personally run by the page administrator of the president of Honduras. This was someone who clearly had a significant amount of trust on social media in the Honduran government, and, and they were not even hiding the fact that they were using thousands of fake assets to manipulate their own citizenry. And so from, from the start, I was very naive. I thought that, okay, I found this. These people were stupid, we caught them, I will hand them over to others. They'll take over it, I can get back to my actual job and everything will be fine. It was instead the start of a two-year Sisyphean ordeal. Because what happened when I raised it was that everyone agreed that this was terrible. It was not controversial that this was bad. Everyone agreed that this should not be allowed, but the question was, what do we do about it? Do, do we have the ability to act on it? Is it within our policies to act on it, etc.? From the start, I spoke about it to everyone who seemed related to it. I spoke about it to Pages Integrity, to Groups Integrity. I talked about it to the Civic Integrity team. I tried to get threat intelligence interested. Eventually, I was talking to everyone who would listen. I spoke to everyone up to and including Vice President Guy Rosen. Essentially, it was like talking to the wind, like trying to empty an ocean with a colander. Eventually, I, I figured out that the best way to get results was often not by trying to go through the proper channels, but by complaining publicly within the company on Workplace, which is essentially Facebook for the office, and making Workplace posts about the situation that others at the company could see, and many of them were of course upset about, because this was not the sort of company they thought they were working for and wanted to be working for. I don't know whether it was by this means, but by others, but eventually Facebook finally took down the operation of the Honduran government, which was international news. A few weeks later, the operation came back using a different method. When we did get the takedown in Honduras, I was still naive and idealistic at the start. I thought, okay, before this, everyone was saying, we didn't have a president, we didn't know what to do. Well, now we do have the president. Now we can say, we have created this president of doing this. We can solve it in this method. And so after this, I thought, okay, I can send them all the others that I found. They'll take care of it now. They did not take care of it. When I used the proper channels to send them over, they went essentially into a black box shredder where they were ignored. In the second half of 2019, I, I, I raised and flagged about three dozen more networks of inauthentic political activities from Afghanistan to Albania, from Brazil to Bolivia, from India to Indonesia. And so it took a while to figure out the right way to actually get results and get people to actually respond. It depended on whether they were tied to politicians and prominent figures, because if, if something was tied to a political figure, it became much harder to take it down. I'm going to give you a number now that I did not believe when I first saw it, because Azerbaijan certainly has less than 3% of the world's population, much smaller, because this network was creating perhaps a million comments every month, and this constituted something like 3% of all comments by pages on posts by other pages, worldwide, globally, civic or non-civic. 
But even when I called the Zari government red-handed, it, it took more than a year for the operation to be taken down when I found that the Zari government has set up a, a massive troll farm of paid operatives to harass the opposition in, in large volumes. This was very clearly bad. It was very clearly like, tied to the Zari government, and it was massive in scale. But when we took it down, I'm sure somewhere at Facebook, there was a team that, that was very upset about why the numbers suddenly dropped for no reason that they could figure out. Between my discovery and the takedown, Azerbaijan had cracked down on the opposition, arrested a number of opposition figures, and started a war with Armenia. It became more and more stressful to work on the issue. It's hard individually to say what impact any of this had, but it quickly became clear that it was tied to activity in nations that were struggling. Because there was so much else going on, and I was the one personally making decisions about what was important, it was, it was essentially entirely up to me what I chose to yell at further, what I chose to prioritize and try to get attention for. And I chose not to prioritize Bolivia because it was objectively very small and not very smart. Well, after the election, there were mass protests that escalated into what has been called alternatively a coup d'etat or a popular uprising that, that resulted in the fall of the Bolivian government. I know that this should not have been personally my responsibility, but at the end of the day, there was no one else who stepped up, and so I chose to do it myself. And because I had put myself in this position, it was essentially up to myself what was important enough to focus on. And I want to be clear, there were always others who were in charge of verifying my findings and in charge of actually taking it on at the end. I decided from the start that it would only be the prosecutor, essentially. I would try my best to never be judge, jury, and executioner because I already had too much power in my hands. I don't think anyone should be in the position of deciding is Albania more important than Azerbaijan or questions like that. Because I also found a network of accounts that were tied to supporting members of the Albanian government. But what I found in Azerbaijan was objectively worse in terms of size and scale. And so I, I knew I only had the political capital to very slowly push through one at a time. And so I chose to focus on Azerbaijan. It's still going on in Albania. Albania had general elections earlier this year. And it was still going on at the time. I mean, more than two years after I discovered it, Facebook still hasn't done anything. And I can only apologize profusely to the Albanian people. I should not have been in a position in which I needed to choose was Albania or Azerbaijan more important. I stand by my decision because what I found in Azerbaijan was objectively worse. But still, no single person should be in charge of questions like this. There have been many news reports about how Facebook is under-resourced in the area of integrity. I haven't seen any news reports complaining that Facebook has too little resources in ads marketing. And I think that states volumes about the company's priorities at the end. What I found most difficult was in certain authoritarian countries, the democratic opposition was benefiting from employing unsavory tactics. And I had the most doubt over those cases, but I still took them down without hesitation because I believed very firmly that my allegiance was to the ideals of democracy and the rule of law, and that fundamentally democracy cannot stand on a bed of lies. As a very low-level employee, in my own spare time without, without any oversight whatsoever, was making decisions personally that directly affected national governments. It's a hard question to answer what I believe should happen, because part of it is like, it's like asking, if you, if you could make the sky any color, what color would you like it to be? Because it's a, it's a mostly theoretical question, and your answer will have, no, will have no actual effect on the real world. I can't make Marx change his mind any more than I can make the sky pink overnight. 
this isn't up to myself. This is up to the people listening to me, to people like yourself. Because I can't change anything myself. I only have as much power as others grant me. If you want things to change, you should be personally asking your, your representatives because ultimately this is a problem that isn't experienced by a few single people. This is a problem in which the costs are borne by society, by democracy, by civic discourse as a whole. And as a company, Facebook has no incentive to fix this any more than we expect Philip Morris to develop non-addictive cigarettes. I was there when as an oral history project featuring the stories of people who've witnessed or created breakthroughs in artificial intelligence and computing. Do you have a story to tell? Know someone else who does? Drop us an email at podcasts at technologyreview.com. Tech Trends is an original podcast series that dives into topics like quantum computing, 5G, and design thinking. Our conversations touch on how tech can transform the way businesses deliver for their customers, clients, and communities. The real power of design thinking from a business perspective is really getting to know your clients, understanding what their needs are, and finding the right problem to solve for your clients. Employees really like to give back in their day job, and this isn't just the most junior employees or your millennial generation, it's everybody. For more information, visit jpmorgan.com technology. This episode was produced by me with help from Anthony Green and Emma Silicons. We're edited by Neil Firth and Matt Honan. Our mix engineer is Garrett Lang, and our theme music is by Jacob Gorski. Thanks for listening. I'm Jennifer Strong. This is MIT Technology Review.